Good morning, Bethel. Uh, it's good to see all of you here this morning on this wonderful May Sunday. This is a, today we're going to look at a passage in Psalms that to me is maybe the most unique chapter in the entire book of Psalms. And we are sermon prepping for this several months ago, Bill and I were looking at several of these Psalms passages and he kept you know, asking me, which one are you going, which one of these Psalms are you going to do? And I kept telling him, Psalms 137, I'm definitely doing this one. Because as I was reading through the Psalms, this one just stood out to me as just such a strange but yet amazing Psalm that God has given to us in his book. So we're going to read here this morning to start out. Here are the words of the children of Israel who find themselves in exile as a result of the Babylonian invasion. Let's read Psalm 137.1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willow trees there we hung our lyres, which is another word for harps. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of those songs of Zion. And they say, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? You could read word that last verse of how shall we sing of the goodness of God in a foreign land is what they were saying. So today we're going to look at the topic of when giving thanks is hard to do. As a pastor on many occasions I've had difficult conversations with people that have been diagnosed with cancer, their spouse has cheated on them and they're in the middle of a divorce, their child is rebellious, they've lost their job, but at some point in the conversation, they tell me that it's difficult to, for them to come to church and sing the songs of praise and thanksgiving because they just don't feel thankful. Now, I would be willing to bet today that there are more than a handful of people in this place today that have been placed in some situations in life where you can testify that praising God is not always easy to do. Can we talk for just a few minutes this morning? It's just us. There's no, no cameras in here today, so we're just going to talk. We're a church family. Let's be honest. I mean, every now and then, you find yourself in some situations where you know you ought to give God thanks. It's not that you aren't grateful. It's not that you don't have faith in God. It's not that you don't believe that God is worthy of your praise. But life has gotten so rough and tough and so many things have gone wrong, and you found yourself dealing with issues that you never thought that you would ever have to face in life. And truth be told, when you wake up in the morning, hallelujah is not the first words that come out of your mouth. I think we, if honest with ourselves, we've all been at that place. Can I be honest with you, as a pastor, 
I've reached some places where my circumstances have silenced my praise, where my condition has controlled my thanksgiving. And even though I know I ought to say thank you and I ought to be grateful and I ought to praise his name, there are realities going on in my life that challenge my thanksgiving. Have you ever been there? Where you just feel awkward coming to church. Everybody's praising God but you, and you felt like you just didn't fit in. And as a result, the enemy begins to work. And that you coming to church when you're down, coming to church when you're stressed, coming to church when you've got issues, the enemy tells you that is the last thing that you ought to do because you're just going to be out of place. Well, if you've ever reached the place where praising God is hard to do, giving thanks isn't always at the front of your mind, and hallelujah isn't the first word out of your mouth, let me tell you, you're not the only one. The children of Israel in the passage that we just read found themselves there as the words to the 137th Psalm were penned. The psalm is written by a very unique group of Israelites. These are Israelites that live in exile in Babylon. If you're not familiar with the children of Israel, let me give you just a a brief synopsis. In 597 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire came down on Jerusalem and they besieged the city. After conquering the city, they take the best and brightest of the young Israelites and they ship them off to Babylon so they can be raised as Babylonian citizens. This was a process of indoctrination and inculation of trying to take these Israelites and make them Babylonians. The hope is that these young Israelites will embrace the cultural aspects of Babylon and abandon their Israelites' religion and their Israelite ways. While they are in Babylon, this unique group of young Israelites receive word that Jerusalem has been destroyed and the temple, more importantly to them and their way of life, has been annihilated. So when they think about the majestic temple that used to be there in their hometown being burned to the ground, the Bible says in this passage that they went to the rivers of Babylon and there they sat. They hung their harps on the willows, and they began to cry. To make matters worse, the Babylonians saw these Israelites that had been deported and seen destruction, and I'm sure wrestling with depression, and the Babylonians thought that they could potentially be helpful. They came to the Israelites, and this is what they said. Cheer up! Sing us some of those songs of Zion. Make a joyful noise. Smile because everything's going to be all right. You're now in the great city of Babylon. Sing us some of that good old praise music. This is their reply in verse 4. How can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? 
Pastor Robert translation, how can we praise God in the place that we are in? How dare you ask us to praise God in circumstances like this? We are in foreign lands. Let me tell you, church, life has a way of putting you in foreign places. Places you've never been, places that you thought you would never be, and this is not how you thought the script of your life would work out. For some of you today, when you woke up and drank your coffee, thinking about how terrible your life is at this present moment, you may have felt like you were sitting on the shores of Babylon this morning. You do not see your life like this in 2023. You find yourself in a place where giving thanks is hard to do. Everybody reaches a place in your life where praising God is hard to do. If you've ever been there, just wink at me. Don't want your neighbor to think that you're weird by raising your hand, so just wink at me. It's all right. I don't want us to think that we are weird, but if truth be told, every eye should have winked at me just a moment ago because we've all been there. Sometimes praising God and giving thanks is hard to do. When you find yourself sitting by the shores of Babylon wondering, how can I praise God in this place? I want you to remember these three things that come out of this experience of the children of Israel in Psalms 137. First of all, praising God is not on demand nor in denial. Seems kind of strange. Let me break it down for you. What I mean by that is the children of Israel are sitting by the shores of Babylon and some folk come by and tell them to sing the Lord's song. It's like they're trying to tell them, press the praise button on your radio. And they see these people weeping and they come by and tell them, stand up, lift up your hands, shout amen, sing the praises of God as if to suggest that on demand somebody else, that you ought to be in a place where you render praise to God. Authentic praise and giving glory to God is never at the demand of somebody else. Nobody can make you praise God. You can make me shout but that doesn't mean that I'm praising God. You can make me stand up so I fit in with everybody else, but that doesn't mean that I'm praising God. Praise that is authentic is never at the command or demand of someone external to you. It always emanates from your heart. So you can make me shout, but you can't make me praise the reason I think this is important is because I think we have, in churches across the country, and probably some here today, some Babylonians, who show up to church and command others to praise. Maybe that looks like it's the wife elbowing the husband to open his mouth, or it's the, the parents being the drill sergeants to the children. These Babylonians fuss you into a place of rendering inauthentic praise to God. If I can be real with you, I 
don't always feel like shouting songs of praise. I don't always feel like giving thanks. And we've got to be careful of judging someone else's walk with God by how much they get into singing because praising God is not the only act of worship. Be clear about that. As pleasing as praise is to God, it's as equally meaningless if you've got to deny the rough realities of where you are at in life. Verse 2, it says, On the willows there we hung our lyres or harps. These children of Israel found themselves in a place where they hung their harps on the willows. These were the instruments that they used to praise God. The psalmist is saying that they retired the instruments of praise and decided to sit down and weep. We can't shout, they're saying, but we can cry. I don't feel like rejoicing in this moment that I'm in in life, but I feel like crying my heart out to God. Here's the truth of what I know about some of you today. Some of you in here, everything's going right in your life right now. All the, that's maybe two of y'all in here. That everything's going right in your life. But the rest of us, no matter how hard you try to hide it, or how deep you conceal it most, when you come into church, you have some stuff on your mind that is heavy on your heart. You say, I've got some problems that have not been resolved. I've got some sickness that I'm worried about. I've got some issues that are circling around me. My job is in jeopardy. My children are crazy. My marriage is messed up. My money is not what it ought to be. And if truth be told, Pastor, I'm sitting here today on the brink of crying. But because I'm around all y'all Babylonians, i got to have a brave face and stop my tears. I would suggest to you that in a sincere in that insincere worship God accepts weeping as much as praising and don't miss this because weeping expresses a vulnerability in the presence of God that is an acknowledgement of God's ability to heal. Here I am God, heal what hurts. Here I am, God, mend in my life what is broken. I need you to hold together what is tearing me apart. God, I'm here. Our worship expression of praising God on, is not on demand, nor is it in denial? Number two, praising God is not all about your place. It's about God's presence. My sincere praise is not controlled by the place I find myself in life, but rather it's an acknowledgement to the presence of God in my life. Here's the problem with the children of Israel in Psalms 137. They said, here we are in Babylon, and we're remembering Zion. Notice they didn't say Jerusalem. It's intentional. 
In the ancient Jewish faith, Zion is a specific reference to the house, home, and presence of God. So here's the essence of what they're saying in Psalm 137. We are here in Babylon, but we remember that God is back there. In their mind, we cannot praise God where we are because God is not where we are. God is where we left him in the temple in Zion. So they begin to doubt the presence of God in Babylon because they have limited the presence of God to the temple in Jerusalem. And now that Jerusalem has been destroyed and the temple is no longer, they mistakenly convince themselves that God was still over there and he was not with them in Babylon. So here's the issue that God always had with Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God was not originally in favor of the Israelites building the temple. When David wanted to build the temple, God objected for one critical reason. God objected to the temple because God preferred the tabernacle. If you remember the tabernacle in the Old Testament that moves with the nation of Israel as through their wandering for 40 years in the wilderness. The word tabernacle literally means to move alongside with. So God says, the reason I'm, I'm objecting to the temple is that the temple is stationary, and if you build a temple, you'll think that that's the only place that I dwell, is in the temple, and you'll forget that I am a tabernacling God. I'm everywhere with you. That when you were in the wilderness, I tabernacled with you. When your enemies were all around you, I tabernacled with you. When you didn't know where you were going, I tabernacled with you. When you were, were not on the mountaintop, when you were in the valley, I tabernacled with you. You, the children of Israel, here's your problem. You're looking at where you are, your place, and you forgot that I am a tabernacling God. That wherever you go, I will go with you. God says you can't get rid of me. You can't run from me. You can't hide from me. And God says where you go, I am with you. You see, here's the deal. It's easy to praise God when you have all of the signs that life is going good and that we attribute those signs to mean that God is with us because life is good at this moment. It's easy to praise God when nothing is going wrong. It's easy to praise God when your bills are paid. Here's what God is saying. Your praise should not be predicated on your place. If all hell is breaking loose in your life, if you're down to your last dime, if you don't have anything you think you ought to have, you still have a reason to praise because your praise is not based on your place. It is an acknowledgement of his presence. My praise is an acknowledgement that no matter where I find myself in life, God is tabernacling with me. He is 
there. No matter where I wake up tomorrow, God is by my side. How do I know that he is by my side? Because I am still breathing. My heart is still pumping blood into my veins. That is how I know that God is with me. Do me a favor. Look at your neighbor and say, I know God is with me. My praise is an acknowledgement of his presence. My praise is an acknowledgement of his presence. You see, I don't praise God because I like everything I'm going through. I don't praise God when he answers my prayer just the way I want. I praise him to acknowledge that he is in my life. I hope we get that this morning. Number three, praising God should always be in memory of his love and mercy. I understand these Israelites, that in the place they're in, they didn't feel like they had a reason to praise God. They said, we can't sing in the place that we are in. And that's what makes this Psalm 137 so unique from the other 149 Psalms that we find in this book. When you typically think of Psalms, you think of encouragement and to bless the Lord. You think of praise songs. Oh, sing to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endure. All these songs of praise, the Psalms are considered the praise book of Israel. The Psalms are the hymnal that Israel would use when they began to worship God. How many of you guys remember a time when churches had hymnals? Some of you guys are old enough to remember that. I know our young ones aren't. If you understand the book of Psalms to be like the hymnal, you need to understand that there was a time when the Jewish rabbis sat down and they did two things with the book of Psalms. They made a decision about which songs made it into the hymn book. There were more than just 150 psalms that were written out there. And so they sat down and decided that the hymn book of Israel would include the 150 psalms that we have today. And that makes me wonder, how did 137 get in the hymn book? If I had been on the committee... Psalm 137 would have never made it. Who's going to put a hymn in the hymn book that says, don't sing? Seems kind of weird. Why would you include a psalm that says, we can't praise right now? They chose it because they knew that at some moment, every child of God would feel like 137. Because that's, where we all eventually find ourselves. That's one thing they did. The second thing that they did, and I want you to catch this, not only did they choose the hymns, but they put the hymns in the hymn book in order that made sense. The Psalms were not randomly put together, so they placed them strategically to send a theological message. So Psalms 37 is intentionally 
not the first psalm. Probably because they figured this isn't a good way to start worship. They put it in the latter half knowing that at some point on your journey from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, you're going to wind up in 137 where giving thanks would be hard to do. So here is the good news for this psalm and I'll be done. Although you're going to get to 137, they thought we're going to preface Psalm 137 with Psalm 136. Don't miss the structure because this is good. What comes after Psalm 136? Help me out. Psalm 137. I know it's, it's math and we don't like doing math. I know it's deep. Psalm 137 is preceded by Psalm 136. So I double dare you to read Psalm 136, as a reminder that when you get to Psalm 137 and you feel like you don't have a reason to give thanks, just look right behind you in Psalm 136 and read what the psalmist says. Let's read it. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. Why? For his steadfast love endures forever. To him alone does great wonders. Why, church? For his steadfast love endures forever. Come on, you guys catch the theme here. Verse 5, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 6, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 7, for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 8, for his steadfast love endures forever. So here's what they said. Even when you don't feel like you have a reason to give thanks, you have a reason to give thanks. When you're not where you ought to be, you have a reason to give thanks. When life is rough on you, you have a reason to give thanks. What is that reason? Tell me. For his steadfast love endures forever. There is an old hymn. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it this morning. There's an old hymn that goes like this. When waves of affliction sweep over the soul, and sunlight is hidden from view. If you've ever tempted or fret or, or complain, just think of his goodness to you. When you think of his goodness, when you think of his love and mercy, and remember what the Lord brought you through, and you recall how the Lord forgave you, forgave you, forgave you and forgave you day after day after day, you've got a reason to give thanks. So here's what the writer of Psalms said. When giving thanks is hard to do, think about what God has already done. Think about how he gave you another chance. Think about how your sins were covered by the shed blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross. So even if you don't have money, 
or health, you've got a reason to give thanks because his love endures forever. Let's pray.